Have you ever had a student um, show you, bring you a piece of art and say, hey, teacher, what grade do I get for this art? Or worse, the student hasn't made any art and they say, uh, if I make the art, what grade will I get? Did you know it was 1785, the Yale president, Ezra Stiles, he first implemented the grading scale in the United States, but it wasn't until 1940 that we implemented the A through S system that we still use today. I think making art for grade is a lousy reason to make art, and I'm not really interested in grading art any longer. Well, Sans, that's crazy. You can't, you can't not grade. We have to use grades. <laughs> Do we? Before we dive in, uh, I think I do need to uh, define the word grading, what I'm talking about here, because sometimes uh, people interchange grading and assessment, um, easily interchangeable words. So I wanna make sure that we understand what I'm talking about when I say grading today. Most teachers view grading as the assigning of the alphanumerical system, and that's what I'm talking about today. Uh, the word assessment sometimes is confused with that as well. You can say, well, the assessment you got was an alphanumerical grade, but uh, assessment also could mean uh, a verbal or written exchange of thoughts um, f to help improve someone's work. Assessment can also mean an exam, a test is an assessment, any way of calculating learning. So for the sake of conversation today, I'm not talking about assessment. I think assessment is really important to help students grow and there are lots of ways we can talk about that in the future. But today I'm talking in particular about grading, the alphanumerical system. I think in the last few years, there has been a trend to move away from grading. In the past, maybe if I brought it up, I was a lone wolf or there was a few lone wolves, but overall it wasn't, it wasn't taking root. But now I see sometimes when I bring up the topic or the topics brought up on like social media sites on Facebook and stuff, there, there can be a good number of teachers who at least will respond. Sometimes a majority of teachers will respond and say, you know, I don't like grading. Some will say they don't grade or try not to grade or don't, at least don't emphasize grading. Um, or at least there'll be some who just see it as a necessary evil, but aren't really happy about the fact that they have to do it, maybe haven't realized how to get out of it. Um, and there are some really good reasons for this. So I thought we'd go through some of the reasons while, why grading might not be the best <laughs> choice to make with art. Okay, so here's reason number one. So here's reason number one. Uh, alphanumerical grading, it doesn't have the same value um, as verbal or written assessment does. It's as simple as that. Receiving a B on your report card, or if the teacher writes like a grade on the back of a piece of artwork, hey, what'd you get in art? I got an 87. Uh, it really doesn't tell the student very much about what could have been improved or how they can make the art better. I mean, even when a rubric is involved, there's still a level of translation that's needed to interpret, you know, what is missing from your artwork that you didn't receive a complete 100. Really, it's the written response, the written answers on the rubric, not so much the alphanumeric grade, that is helping in that situation. A third reason to de-emphasize grading is because it tends to prohibit experimentation. And when it does, it actually reduces learning. What? You're saying grading actually reduces learning. Well, like, stick with me here for a minute. If a student wants to receive a higher grade, they're, they're not gonna want to experiment because you can learn a lot when you, when you experiment, but if you experiment, it also can lead to failure. Now, we learn a whole bunch when we fail. We learn that the things we tried didn't work and we formulate ideas about how it might work if we tried it again. So, you know, if we already know how, how to do something, we can accomplish a task without failure. <laughs> the only problem is if we already know how to do it, we already know how to do it. In that situation, we're only reproducing what we already know. When we experiment and we fail, we truly learn. 
And failure might be the greatest teacher, but it leads to lower grades. Teachers don't assign high grades for failing. That's as simple as it is, right? High grades are assigned for accomplishing. So in the mind of the student, experimentation is not worth the risk. If they play it safe, if they don't take risks, they're going to receive a higher mark because they're going to be accomplishing something which probably they already know. Perhaps the best reason to de-emphasize grading is because, like I said in the opening, making art for a grade is a lousy reason to make art. Remember those two students I mentioned, you know, what grade will you give me for this art? Or if I make this art, what grade will I get? And in both situations, the, sto the student is totally focused on the grade, not the making of the art. They don't, want, they don't care about the art, they want to get a good grade. Uh, and there are lots of fabulous reasons for making art. <laughs> making art for a grade <laughs> should not be one of them. So that's great, Sans. Well, that sounds fabulous. I mean, I'd stop grading tomorrow if I could, but you know what? I can't. <laughs> I simply can't. I mean, my admin expects me to grade. What about colleges? They expect me to grade. What about parents? They expect me to grade. <laughs> so how do we how do we de-emphasize grading if all these people are expecting it? Well, first, uh, there's a couple of steps. Number one, we need to take the focus off grading. Most teachers have class rules. I have a class rule in my class. What's the first rule of grading? Never talk about grading. <laughs> I don't want that kid coming up to me and asking me, what grade will I get? Or if I do this, what grade will I get? I just don't want that to be there. So I'm gonna de-emphasize that. We're not gonna talk about that. We're not gonna talk about grading. We're gonna establish a system, and we'll talk about this as we get into it a little bit further, so that they understand what the grade's gonna get. If they just do the work, if they're just engaged, they're gonna get their grade, and they don't have to even think about it. So now they can think about concentrating on their art. And I can get to asking them questions instead of like, hey, what grade do I get? I can turn it back around and say, you know, what do you like about this piece? You know, how could you improve this? What, how did you experiment? Whatever it is, we can have a different conversation. Second, stop grading projects. <laughs> that sounds, well, yeah, okay, Sans, that sounds easy. Well, projects, and when I say projects, I'm talking about the finished work of art. That's been the traditional method for assigning your grades. You create the project, I give you a rubric. If you did the things right, you, you get the grade that you received the 100 or whatever it is, based on that you completed all the tasks correctly. However, grading projects leads to all the issues I discussed earlier, especially the discouraging students from taking risks. They're not gonna experiment, um, they're not gonna allow themselves to fail. When we give them a project and they have the steps to follow, they're gonna follow those steps. And of course, they're gonna be accomplished, but again, they, the, the risks aren't being taken. So instead of beginning grading, with the project, begin grading the process. The process is how the art is made. It's the steps that the artist takes in order to complete a final work of art. And that's where the experimentation happens and the risk get taken, and that's where the learning occurs. By grading the process, the student is free to learn without fearing failure. Now, we've got to hope that there's not going to be too many students that are setting out to fail. Like, I don't feel like a student is like, I want to fail this, so I'm going to see how bad I can do this. Maybe, but maybe, we kind of hope not. But at least if that does happen, and the teacher's grading the process and not the project, the student isn't penalized for attempting to do things that don't work out. And furthermore, the teacher assigning the alphanumerical symbols uh, he is doing it for the learning that happened, the, the process of the learning that happened, and not for the failure when it occurred. 
So let's get into different grading methods. You know, if you ask 100 teachers about their grading methods, you know what you're going to receive? 100 different answers. <laughs> That's, I mean, there's so many the variables that play into it. Districts and schools and even departments will have their own grading requirements. So all that comes into play when the teacher is developing a grading strategy. And I think it also goes back to how you were graded um, by your teachers. I think you bring some of that. And of course, what you've learned in, in school and college and places like that. So you pick up all these different grading methods along the way. And that's how you develop your system. Um, I, so I'm just going to talk about some of the grading methods I've used and, and you can steal from them and maybe implement some of those as well. In the book, The Open R Room, I introduced my 98 to zero grading philosophy. And I still stick by this today, although I've changed it some, but the basic concept principle I still use, I'll explain it to you. This, the grading method I'm talking about here begins with the concept that the students learn through the doing. I'm going to go back to that again. So if they're doing, and they're, then they're learning. That's all there is to it. If you're engaged in the process, you're learning. If you're failing or you're accomplishing, it doesn't matter. If you're not doing anything, then you're not learning. So it's a zero-sum strategy. Uh, you know, you're either creating or you're not creating. <laughs> That's it. So the students who do receive a grade of a 98 and students who do not receive a grade of a zero. So I know what you're thinking now. San, you sound like a bit of a hypocrite. Didn't you just say a minute ago that, you know, if you give a zero, it's punishment. <laughs> so maybe I am. <laughs> but we're talking about grading now. We, we've been reduced to the fact that we have to give an alphanumerical grade. So we've come up with a system and I'm going to explain the system and, and maybe it'll maybe it'll justify it. Who knows? <laughs> um, but but bear with me. Let's say I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an analogy or better yet, maybe it's a metaphor for grading. Uh, I'm going to give you an objective. Pretend you're sitting in a room. And on the other side of the room, there's a box. Okay, so here's your objective. I want you to touch the box. Okay, that's your objective. I want you to get up and touch the box. Now, you've got three choices to make. Number one, you can get up and you can touch the box. <laughs> that's the objective after all. Number two, you can get up but never touch the box. That's true. Okay, and number three, you can just stay in your seat. So you've got three options there. Get up and touch the box. Just get up or stay in your seat. Now, we're going to add grades to this. It's very simple. The first is easy. If you get up and you touch the box, you've accomplished your objective. Congratulations, you just got a 98. <laughs> um, the last one is also easy. If you stay in your seat and you've done nothing, you got a zero. Now, the one in the middle seems tricky because the you've gotten up, you've gotten off your seat, and you move towards the box maybe, but you haven't you haven't touched the box. And since even though you've advanced towards the box, you've advanced towards your goal, unfortunately, you've not met the objective, so guess what? A zero. <laughs> the student has to meet the objective to receive the grade. Now, that lays out my basic philosophy uh, of for my grading, but it's not actually how I, I grade, especially not the zero part. The 98 part's true. So let me talk a little bit about how I implement this method um, into my actual grading practice. So what I call <clears throat> my grading method is engagement grading. And engagement grading begins with a single point rubric, and it outlines expectations that a student needs to accomplish throughout the artistic process. So the single point rubric is different from a traditional rubric because it only describes the criteria for proficiency. In other words, it only presents what the student needs to do to accomplish their objective, or as I previously stated, how to receive a 98. <laughs> so the rubric contains a list of expectations concerning the student's engagement during the process. It's not a list of tasks that the student needs to accomplish, what well, sort of is, but it's not really a list of you have to do this, you have to do that, but instead it's activities the student should be pursuing in order to be considered engaged. 
So in each phase of the artistic process, they're going to be engaged in different activities, and that's what this list is. So in, when students are engaged in the artistic process, they're going to complete these activities basically by design. It's built in. And the opposite side of that coin is that without these activities, being that they're built into the process, for the most part, the process can't be completed without engaging in these activities. So let's take a look at the process and then I'll explain uh, some of the activities that are in each one of these. So here's a look at the process and then I'll talk about the activities in each one of those. So the overall artistic process starts with inspiration phase. That's the first phase where the student is, is gathering their inspiration, sometimes given by the teacher or they are doing it on their own. Once they've gotten their inspiration, they go into the second phase of the process, which is development. And that's when they're designing and developing their what they're going to create. The third part of it is the creation phase. And that is when they're actually building, creating their art. And the last phase is reflection. And that includes presentation when they're, they've completed the art and now reflecting on it and considering how they're going to present it or maybe not so here are we just come up with three activities for each one of these phases that art students should be engaged in so this is just a list of three activities we have for each one of the phases that the students should be engaged in so I'll discuss each and then I'll go into a little bit of detail for the inspiration phase the student should be seeking artists and artworks, they should be maintaining an art journal of warm-ups and ideas, and they should be exploring new medium and techniques. For the development phase, we ask that they develop a plan, they design original projects, and they research new skills and techniques. For the creation phase, we ask that they use class time productively, that they persist even when problems arise, and that they strive to use visual language to express ideas. And for the reflection phase, we ask that they uh, create written reflection of their final work, and they consider ways to grow and improve, and they seek peer reviews. Now, to go into detail of each one of those, first of all, they don't have to be doing all those all the time. It's just not going to happen, but they should be engaged in at least some of them. For example, if I'm talking about the inspiration phase, seeking artists and artworks, well, sometimes I'll, I'll show them art or artists artworks, so they don't necessarily have to be doing it themselves, but they're, they're still being inspired by those artists and artworks. Uh, another example is I try to keep them open-ended. For example, in the development phase, we ask that they develop a plan. Now, we didn't say you have to create 10 thumbnails for each project or we want to see a scrap sketch version first. How they develop a plan is up to them. They might just start taking stuff and tinkering with it and putting it together. Other people might want to lay it out like through a thumbnail or something like that. But it doesn't matter to us how that plan is developed, just that they have an idea in their head, at least, <laughs> hopefully on paper even better, but some way that they've thought about it they're developing their plan. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that just just keep in mind that the activities in the rubric are, are fluid. It's a fluid idea. It's not a rigid list of things they have. It's not hoops they have to jump through. It's just this kind of fluid ideas that, that they're, they're accomplishing. Tracking the engagement happens on a daily basis. So I can check with student each day. I can check in with them each day and just see where they're at in the process. Like most students will be engaged. Most students are working in some part of the rubric. And at the end of the week, the students have, who have been engaged the entire time receive a grade of a 98. I grade once a week. I grade on Fridays. It is a grade for the entire week. And it's tracked daily, but it's graded weekly. Now, when a student's not engaged, 
Then we need to determine why they're not engaged and hopefully offer suggestions in order to get the student working. See, this is not about just giving them zero. It's about getting them engaged because that's what we would like is them all to be engaged in, in the process. So sometimes the student is stuck and they don't, they don't even know how to proceed. So in that situation, you know, I can say, let me give you some advice to help you get back on track. And other times a student might be having an off day. Like that just happens. Like I didn't have a good night's sleep last night or you know what? I got a little sniffles or, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a personal family matter. My boyfriend broke up with me. I don't know what it is. There's a lot of things that can knock a student off track. And I'm not talking like they don't come in and work every day, but just a one day thing they got knocked off track. You know, in those situations, I think we can decide to offer the students a day off, especially if the student is usually engaged. Like this isn't like, well, you worked on Monday, but you didn't work Tuesday because you were having an off day because you didn't get a good night's sleep. So I'm going to knock 20 points off. I mean, that's not the way this works. You can give someone a day off um, and, and, and you can just kind of like give them that time off. And then the next day they come in and they're back engaged and everything's cool. So they get the 98 for the week. Like we're not trying to look at it like, well, Monday I knock off 20 points because you didn't work and Tuesday you did. It's an overall kind of holistic approach, if you will. Now, however, if the students not work, and that becomes habitual, then we have, you know, that's a different situation. Now we're talking when they're they're disengaged without reason, like they've selected not to participate, but they're doing other activities, like they're doing work for another class or they're playing on their phones or something. At that point, it's acceptable for the teacher to mark the student as disengaged. And if the student is disengaged, then it is acceptable for the teacher to give the student the disengaged grade, which is a zero. However, it's not a zero. Uh, we played around with this uh, with a couple times and we found the zero is really too low um, when compared to other grades and it can just knock a student way out of track and, and that's not a good thing. So what we came up with was a 50. If you give the student a 50, then the next week they can get back on track and they can get their grades back up and going. And that is grading in a nutshell. Hey, if you want to know more or see more, I guess I should say, because you can hear this and maybe you're very visual because we're our teachers, I'm going to put a featured article up on artofsouthbee.com and just about grading. And I'll show you the rubric there so you can just see it straight out what we do. Maybe I'll put a couple of different ones up so you can see some of the different engagement rubrics we've, we've tried and used, and you might find one that works for you. So check that out, artofsouthbee.com. Or if you're interested in learning more uh, different ways to implement choice in the classroom, check out davisart.com. Uh, look for The Open Art Room or Making Artists, two great books. <laughs> and that's about it for this week. And we'll catch you next week with another exciting podcast.